0: Listen, this past month we've been in a series. It's going to continue leading up till Easter. And this series has been about money. It's a series about money. And um, it's not in the typical sense money where, you know, we're trying to milk every dollar for the sake of the church. No, we're talking about different things. We're talking about the poor. We're talking about mission. We're talking about service in the community. What does this all look like for us as a church? And in order to understand the poor, in order to understand community work and and mission work, you have to talk about money. That's like the big elephant in the room that we want to ignore is a reality. Oh, let's just go and, and give handouts and help out the poor. But really, there's a big factor. It is money, economics. And so let me once again, as I've been doing each Sunday, kind of reestablish three guiding principles for this series, three foundational things that I think really set the stage, uh, not just for this series, but for us as a church going forward. The first one, if you can pull this up on the, on the screen, is the poor come first. And I think that uh, no matter how you read the Gospels, this is the inescapable foundation In the economics of Jesus' kingdom, the poor will always come first. Undeniable. So that's the first thing. The poor come first. So what does that mean then? Does that mean then that all of us, we should take a special offering and you should give away a significant fraction uh, of your income and make sure that we just redistribute this among the poor? Well, the second foundation is that the best way to serve the poor is to create wealth. The best thing that we could do to serve the poor is not just dump our leftovers on them or give this massive handout or have this huge redistribution process. The best way to serve the poor, actually, is to give them on-ramps to to, to wealth-creating opportunities for themselves. Give them on-ramps for wealth-creating opportunities for themselves and serving them in this regard. Serving. And the third foundational principle is, if we have this perspective, if our primary motivation is to serve the poor, to give them access to some on-ramps so that they have wealth-creating opportunities, then it's appropriate and reasonable to pursue wealth if we're coming from that place, that we want to help and serve the poor. This past week, uh, I had a con- conversation with a representative from the Stoller Foundation. And some of you know about this. Um, in fact, some of your, a good number of your kids are beneficiaries. If you've gone to summer camp, if you've gone to summer camp through Woven, please raise your hand nice and high. Raise your hand nice and high. All of you, and there's more, there's, there's two in the back right there, You've been a beneficiary because somewhere you had this man who started a fertilizer business decades and decades back. Started a fertilizer business and he made a good deal of money. And today what he does is he uses his foundation. He has a foundation that focuses primarily on at-risk communities and making sure that they're on-ramps, on-ramps for wealth-creating opportunities for these communities. So we are beneficiaries of that, and we're having more conversations about how we can um, understand this better and do it better as a church. So with these three ideas in mind, you know, we've been talking about different things. We've been talking about um, consumption, you know, how you'll sit down in front of the game like I'm going to do today. You know, great retreat. kind of sit down? And then the, the, the hot wings commercial comes on or the pizza HUT commercial comes on. I don't like Pizza Hut. I'm from New York. I need to have a real slice of pizza. But for some reason, my desire kicks in, kicks in, and these appetitive consumptive things become awake because marketing knows how to mess with your mind. And so desire, this is a thing that we have to address. Did you know that as Christians, we have to curb our desires? We actually can't let our desires run amok, whether it's for pizza or whether it's for um, anything under the sun. Uh, American economics is driven by consumption, but we Christians actually have to watch out for consumption because desire can go crazy. So we talked about desire. We've talked about these different things. Today, what I'd like to talk about is a carrot. Carrot. So if I can illustrate what I mean, if you've ever seen this picture of a man sitting on the back of a donkey, and he's sitting on the back of the donkey, and he's holding a fishing rod, and at the end of the fishing rod is a carrot. And the donkey is trying to grab that carrot, and, and as he is reaching for the carrot, um, you know he can steer the donkey wherever he wants to go. In other words, a carrot—a carrot—symbolizes motivation, incentive. What is your incentive to work, to make money, to serve the poor? What is your incentive to be a moral human being? What is your incentive to contribute to the economy? It's the carrot. Well, what's the carrot? The carrot could be a number of things. You know, the carrot could be hunger. The carrot could be uh, your own needs, or maybe for the younger people, you want to buy, buy a Nintendo Switch after a weekend of playing Just Dance. So your motivation kicks in. Uh, this, this word that I want to use is incentive. Your incentive is, I need this, or I, I, have, I have a desire. For example, if you've ever heard the saying, the early bird gets the Starbucks. The early bird gets the worm because the one that wakes up early is the one that's going to get the the reward. So the the early bird is essentially driven by what? Hunger. Hunger. So what what drives you is the question today. This is not just a, a talk about money. This is profoundly biblical and theological. What's driving you today? Well, nothing really. You know, my pantry's full. I've got my Xbox. It's all I need. I was like a 20-year-old college student. I've got the meal plan. Mom. So I'm all set. I have no hunger. I have no needs. I have no incentive until mom kicks you out. says, you're on your own. Hallelujah. It's about time to cut that umbilical. You're on your own, and all of a sudden you experience You experience, I I, I need to do something about this. You experience, I need to pursue treasure. I need to pursue work because my stomach growls. This is incentive. What incentivizes you today? What incentivizes? Today, as I talk about incentive, I want to read to you uh, the parable of the vineyard from Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20 is all about incentive. It's about economics. It's about that thing that makes your stomach growl and says, "I, I need But before I read that parable of the vineyard, let me set the stage. Jesus is inside the back room having a conversation with a rich young ruler, rich young man, and this young man is saying, Jesus, I have this growling, it's not in my stomach though, it's in my soul. This rich young ruler is a wealthy man, and some of you might know this, some of you might know what this feels like. He has everything that he could ever want, and yet something is growling inside of him. It's not his stomach. His stomach is full. But what's growling is his spirit. How many of you feel a growling in your spirit that something's not right? I have TV. I have food. I have, what I, I have a place to sleep. But my spirit is growling because it's, it's impoverished. It's starving. It's starving. And so he says, Jesus, I have this, this, this missing hole. I'm missing something. And Jesus says in Matthew chapter 19, verse 21, he says, I got you. I know what you need. If you wish to be complete, go and sell everything you have. And then, talk about incentive, and then you'll have treasure in heaven. And I can picture all the disciples, the 12 of them with their ears pressed up against the door and they're listening, and when they hear treasures in heaven, they're like, "Oh, treasure! Did you hear that treasure?" Until Jesus opens the door, and He says, "Are you dropping? Are you eavesdropping? We're not dropping no eaves, sir." The Lord of the Rings, obligatory Lord of the Rings quote. Uh, and uh, Peter, he's bold enough, and he says, "Well, sir, we've left everything. We've given everything up to follow you," and and he words it beautifully. I like the way it says in Matthew nineteen twenty seven. What, will then, what then will there be for us? What will we have? If you promised him treasure and we left everything, will there be mansions and billions and billions of rubles and riches for us? They're driven by incentive. They're incentivized by something. Self-interest. Self-interest, if you want to get philosophical. Self-interest. And so what's in it for me is the question. Will I too have treasures in heaven? So let's hear Jesus' response in Matthew chapter 20 verses 1 to 16 as I read the parable of the vineyard, a response to their question, what's in it for us? And Jesus' response is this. Listen to the word of the Lord. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out Early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. Jesus drives out in his pickup truck and he goes and he needs some workers and he knows where they're standing. Verse 2 He agreed with the laborers for a denarius for the day and he sent them into his vineyard. He went out about the third hour again and he saw other laborers standing idle in the marketplace and to these he said, You also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right, I'll give you. And so they went. Again, he went out about the sixth and ninth hour and did the same thing. And about the eleventh hour, eleventh hour, he went out and found others just standing around, milling about. And he said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day long? And they said, because no one hired us. And he said, you go into the vineyard too. And When evening came... The owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call all the laborers back and pay them their wages, beginning with the last group, the 11th hour group, and then ending with the first. When those hired about the 11th hour came, each one received a denarius. So the 11th, the last workers to come, received a denarius. But when those who hired first came and worked their whole eight or nine plus hours a day, They thought they'd get more, but guess what? They also got a denarius, the same as the last workers. And they grumbled at the landowner, saying, these last guys have worked only one hour, but you've made them equal to us who've borne the burden and scorching heat of the day. Why is it that we have blisters, sun blisters, but these guys are, you know, they didn't even break a sweat, but they get paid the same? That's wrong. And Jesus answered and said, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what's yours and go. I wish to give the last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own money? Or is your eye envious because I'm generous? So the last shall be first and the first shall be last. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This is Jesus' teaching directly. So, that's just like Jesus. So like Jesus. Hey, Jesus, what time is it? The sun shall rise and the moon shall be darkened and then the sun will set and the last shall be first. Can you, you know, I just asked you what time it is. Jesus, what's in it for me? But this long, drawn-out parable, now unpack it. It's kind of like, you know, um, it's kind of like a, a parent that, that, that tells you a parable. He teaches you a lesson. So Jesus tells them this parable, but they're left kind of unpacking it. What does this mean? When they said, what's in it for us? What do we get? Because we followed you. We've given everything up. And Jesus, is he saying, what's in it for you? The same as everybody else. Get back in line. Is that what he's saying? Or is Jesus saying, actually, what's waiting for you is a denarius. And if you look at the top of your notes, you see the little, the, um, the, the little uh, brief blurb. Because I, I, I have this vision in my head of Oprah Winfrey, you know, um, from ancient Roman times saying, you get a denarius, you get a denarius, you get a denarius. Everybody gets a denarius, so generous. Is that what Jesus is saying? You get a denarius, you get a denarius. To the disciples, wow, we get a denarius. It, what exactly he is saying, it depends on how we interpret this. It depends on how we interpret this. And so I think the the first question, and if you look in your notes, the first of two halves, first question is who exactly are the latecomers? So as I read this, I'm trying to figure out who is he talking about when he says the 11th hour workers? So first, we're gonna address the latecomers. Who are the latecomers? And then the second half, we're gonna ask the question, then what incentive is there? What drives us? What drives us? So those are our two halves of our talk today. The first half is that question, who's the one, who are the latecomers? I think I keep thinking I'm seeing mosquitoes flying around. It's like a little piece of lint, and I'm like, Dah! Who are the latecomers? In verse 6, it says, About the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing around. And he said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day long? So what's the 11th hour in the Jewish and the Roman calendar? The 11th hour, let me ask you this first. How many of you um, quit work are done with work by 6 o'clock? Raise your hand. Anybody done, by, done with work by 5 o'clock? It just kind of varies. So uh, in the Jewish calendar, um, it, it worked by 3s. So the 12th hour would have been 6, 6 o'clock p.m. That was traditionally quitting time. That's when you're done, go home. So what he's saying is at 5 p.m. You get that? 5 p.m. Do you know workers like that? Like they show up to work 11 11 a.m. or something, and then they take a five-hour lunch break, and then they get something done in the last hour. And you're like, gosh, I can't stand that guy. I can't stand that guy. I can't stand him because he feels like he can do anything because he's the boss's nephew. And he gets paid more, if not equal, let's say for the sake of the parable, he gets paid the same as I do. But he does nothing, that guy. He shows up at 11 a.m., he takes a four or five hour lunch break doing I don't know what. I really can't stand that guy. And just because he's the boss's nephew, he gets paid the same as me. You're getting this sense of unfairness, and in particular, the word I want to pull out here is resentment. Resentment. How many of you are free from resentment? Raise your hand bravely and high. Today, let's talk about resentment. That's what this first question, who are the latecomers so that we can throw things at them? Who are the latecomers so that we can kind of be like, I, I hate that guy? Or she, she's all, she just shows up late and does whatever she wants. You know who the latecomers are? They are not, they're the late risers. They're the late risers, which is wrong because the early bird gets the worm. Why is it that this bird doesn't have to work hard and wakes up late, but for some reason through distribution or something, whatever, they get the worm too? That's not fair. It's not fair. So I want to really press this. I want to press this and see if, by the time, by the end of this first half, I can get you sufficiently feeling a negative reaction because that's good preaching. If you can feel something, right? There's a couple of interpretations about who the latecomers are in this passage. Who are the latecomers? A couple of interpretations. One interpretation are the tax collectors and the sinners. So Jesus is talking about the tax collectors and the sinners. These are the ones that arrive at the eleventh hour. That would seem to make sense. Um, Except today, when we think about the tax collectors and the sinners and the Samaritan, they're nice and they're furry. We've kind of sterilized the notion. These were not people that you like to hang out with. These really were those who are still standing around at five o'clock, five o'clock without work. Do you need work? There's a reason why they're the last ones standing, right? A, they're, they're probably late risers. They got a little messed up last night. So they show up on the spot looking for work. All the others have already gone. They're the late risers. Why should they get paid just the same? Here's another one, another interpretation. Another interpretation is that the five o'clock workers are the Gentiles. They're not the Jews. In other words, you would interpret that to mean Uh, those who are grumbling are the Pharisees. This makes sense to me. The Jews, as they say, we've been around since the dinosaurs. (laughs) We've been around since Father Abraham and Moses. We've been faithfully following God for eons. But you guys come along and you get a little hot, you get a little religion, and all of a sudden Jesus says to you in Matthew 19, you get to sit upon 12 thrones and judge the tribes of Israel. No! I was here since the beginning. Another interpretation. You're going to like this one. You say, you, you, you've been a Christian for 40 years of your life, and you faithfully follow Jesus even when it was hard. This person lives a terrible life, and on their deathbed at 70 years old, in the last minute of their time on earth, says, I I wish to become a Christian. And then they die. One minute on earth as a Christian, that's a a five o'clock worker. Do they go to heaven? Well, but we need to see the evidence. There's a theological argument that starts kicking in. We need to see the evidences of the spirit. We need to see this. And then you go to heaven and that guy's there or she's there. That's got to upset you. Why are you smiling? You should be frowning. You should start to feel this. There's something wrong with this. I'm not doing a good job as a preacher. I'm trying to make you feel this resentment. How about uncommitted Christians? Those that that seem like they're just nominal churchgoers. Gosh, if there isn't anything that gets under my skin, you know, they're not true believers. I think... In my opinion, this is talking about the disciples. So when they say, what's in it for us? Jesus is saying, you get a denarius. You get a denarius. You get a denarius. And the first hour workers are actually the Pharisees. The Pharisees are the ones that are saying, why do they get a denarius? Why do they get to judge the 12 tribes of Israel? Why them? These fishermen, uneducated. Why do do they get a denarius? You know if I can summarize this first half, however we interpret it, however you want to understand this because th- there's, there's different interpretations, I think a good rule to interpreting this parable of the vineyard is the latecomer, the five o'clock worker, is that person that you cannot stand today. Think about that. It's that person that really really gets under your skin at work, at the gym, person that's always hogging the treadmill and never wipes it down, after. or at the play, play date. That, that person who you resent today, think about that person, is the latecomer. And that's going to mess with you a little bit that messes with you a little bit. Who do we resent today? Of whom do we say that's just unfair? Because now you're asking the next question, which is the second, the the concluding part of our talk, then what incentive is there? If it's true that I can show up to work like that person at 11 a.m. because they show up late, the boss doesn't care, and I'll take a five hour lunch break because I don't care. I'm not incentivized anymore. The carrot has disappeared. And then society would crumble and fall apart because nobody wants to wake up early. There's no early risers. There's no drive. There's no ambition. There's no internal motivator. There's no more carrot. Once the carrot is gone, and you get a denarius, you get a denarius, you get it. everybody gets a denarius, then nobody wants to work. This is basic economics. And I think what this concludes is that When you really think about it, grace, which is the theology, it's the doctrine we're talking about today, it really doesn't make good economic policy. It makes terrible economic policy because it's so profligate, it's so free. If the person that gets under your skin right now, in this very instant, the person, whether it's your ex, whether it's the boss's daughter, or whether it's that person, whoever it is, that person is Jesus' close buddy, then you're saying Phew. well, you know. Then you want to say, well, forget about it. Why even try? What's the incentive? And in that case, we give up. And then end result is all of society falls apart because incentivization has been driven away. Grace doesn't make good economic policy. however, If you understand this, you understand grace. Let me read you this saying. It's by British preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones, and he describes it well. He says it in one of his writings. The true preaching of the gospel of salvation by grace always leads to the possibility of the charge being brought against it. There's no better test that some people are going to misunderstand it they're going to misinterpret it to mean that because you're saved by grace, it doesn't matter at all what you do. If my preaching and presentation of the gospel of salvation doesn't expose it to that misunderstanding, to that scandal, then it's not not fully the gospel yet. In other words, what he's saying is if we're talking about grace, if it doesn't bite you a little bit, if it doesn't make you realize that the person you dislike the most is an object of God's favor and love, if we're not feeling that, then we haven't fully understood how grace operates. You know, you want to, in conclusion, you want to talk about economic systems, right? I prefer, diff- I prefer my own economic system, like public shaming, right? Or spankings, reproval, fear-based motivation, I'm joking, lest I, uh, you know, I need to spell that out. But, you know, those, those approaches are not really working for me so well. They're not really working for me. How about, how about um, an economy based on exploitation or, you know, this, this, this kind of unmitigated greed and appetite? Is that working for us well? America is more overweight, more sicker than ever we've been, ever before. So even, even this kind of uh, incentivized, over-incentivized, over, over-consumeristic culture is not working for us that well either. In the end of the day, what I'm saying is this. When it comes to economics, when it comes to money, there are no morals behind money. Ever since the Enlightenment, money was separated from morals. Economics has no moral foundation. When we think about Jesus' teaching, this is completely antithetical to everything, every approach. Every approach to money, every approach to life, it messes with our categories and our sense of right and wrong. But at the end of the day, if you truly understand this most important notion that the late person is not them, it's me. When I get this and I make the connection that they are not the bad guy, I am the one that showed up at 5 p.m. Then we understand, and that changes us. You see, in conclusion, if I could just bring up the two economics of the kingdom, you can pull up these answers on the screen behind me. The first economics of the kingdom, the first way to understand the gospel of grace is that I too am late, so I built up a good case for resentment or resenting somebody or hating somebody today. But you know that you are also, that we are also the ones who are late. We also are the ones that elicit anger. No, I'm fair. I'm a decent human being, but until we get off our high horse until we get off our moral superiority kick and say, I'm better than that person, I'm better than everybody else, there's nothing worse than a, 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 a blind moralist. Until we come to the recognition that I too am wrong. Wrong, I said it. Gosh, so hard. And my wife was like, now was that so difficult? If there's nobody here, if there's anybody here that's never wrong, then I'll give you the first stone to throw. You can throw it at me if you're never wrong. First principle, I too am late. I too am late. When you switch these roles and recognize you are not the 9 a.m. worker, you're the 5 p.m. worker, what happens is self-righteousness obliterated, out the window. I'm a recipient of grace. You know, there's this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful prose written by somebody named, well, written by St. Augustine in his confessions. Listen to this, beautiful words. He says, late have I loved thee. This is St. Augustine. Late have I loved thee. Beauty so ancient, so new. Late have I loved thee. You were in me and I was outside of you. I searched for you outside and disfigured as I was. I fell upon the lovely things of your creation, but you were in me. I was not with you. The beautiful things of this world, they kept me far away from you, and yet if they had not been in you, they would have not had no being. He's getting philosophical here. Let me wrap this up. He says, late have I loved thee. Beautiful words. I loved thee late. Can you say that? Late, God. I've loved you late. I'm a latecomer. That's the first thing. I, too, am late. And here's the second thing, economics of the kingdom. I am overgraced. I, too, am overgraced, if you can even put it that way. I'm overgraced. I've received more grace than I deserve. I've received more grace than I deserve. You know, I, I remember um, about 20 years ago, 20 years ago, I was living in Seattle, and uh, I had a friend who worked for, I think it was Microsoft, one of the big tech companies out there, and we were all kind of you know, talking, and they were comparing salaries, these young guys. And I remember this guy who worked for this tech company, like he kind of just put his head down, and he shook his head like he didn't deserve it, and he said, I'm, I'm actually overpaid really overpaid. And we are like, what do you do all day? Kind of just sit around. And he gets paid six figures. Paid a lot of money. Overpaid. It doesn't really do much. I was like, oh, great. I wish I had your job. the The truth is, probably we wouldn't be able to get that job unless we did the work and rose early in order to get that job. But when you get there, then you don't do anything, and then you get paid all this money. He's, always, he's like, this guilt, I'm overpaid, I'm overpaid. In other words, when we understand that we've, we've <laughs> when we have those moments, and they, they come, every now and then, they're, they're almost stupefying moments, stupefying, if I can use a Harry. it's like stunning moments where I'm like, I, I really didn't deserve that much. I didn't deserve that, I didn't deserve that, that kindness. I mean, I've experienced that at least once in my life, I remember. I was stupefied. I, I don't deserve this. When you've felt that, then you've gotten in touch with grace. When you've been overgraced, when you've been overpaid, or you've been over-lavished or something, and you're like, I, I didn't deserve that. But let me close with this last thought. If we're all up in ourselves, if we're all up in ourselves, if we're self-justifying and self-moralizing, we're never gonna have that breakthrough moment. We're never gonna realize how blessed we are. If we're all up in our own stuff, we'll never have the realization that grace is a thing and that it's touched us.